and welcome back to another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I am ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, and not just any fantasy today. Because oh. today we are continuing our discussion of the Powder Mage trilogy with the second book in the series, The Crimson Campaign by Brian McClellan. That's exactly what we're here to do, Charles. This should be our last episode of 2023. It we'll is looking our, to beat that. Our way. little winter break after this, a couple weeks off before we come back at you hot in 2024. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm I'm excited to get into this one. We covered book one, a Promise of Blood, a few weeks back, and we're we're back to get into the Crimson Campaign, a book two that I think probably ramps up the action and uh, takes things to even more of a military fantasy-based place than book one did. Agreed, yeah. I I think this one really kind of, for me, I felt like I was more in a rhythm with this one and I was more like engrossed in the story with this one. And... Um, Ah, I I was highly entertained. I was really enjoying the characters and the world that the story is in. I was getting a hang of the world building and all that. I don't know. The reading experience just really came together for me in this one that I was kind of working for in the first one, which I still liked book one a lot, but I felt like it was a more natural kind of reading experience for me here in book two. For sure. I mean, book one, it was ambitious of Brian McClellan to flesh out everything involved, especially with the magic systems. And you've got a few different types of magic systems going on. All of them have all these intricacies and details that the reader has to take in to fully understand the story. And you're doing all that in the middle of a like pretty complicated political situation that's playing out and getting to know all of the characters. So I can see how once, okay, all of that's established. We know the characters, we understand the magic systems pretty well at this point, And now we can just dive right into the story of the Crimson mm. campaign. I think did you use the word momentum? What was the word you used there, Charles? A rhythm. A little bit yeah, more rhythm, of a rhythm, rhythm yeah. going with this one. I think that's a great way of describing it because uh, there isn't as much need for interruption for exposition or anything like that. It's pretty clear what each of the characters is trying to accomplish. And I'd say it's probably a more straightforward book. It's not particularly straightforward in relative sense uh, <laughs> when it comes to the fantasy genre as a whole like it is uh, a lot going on and uh, like we said a lot of magic systems uh, political machinations uh, military uh, stuff going on but uh, compared to the first book i think the the task that brian mcclellan had to take on was not as i guess I don't want to use the word ambitious again, but it, it wasn't as much. It wasn't as a hefty a task, and he could kind of just tell a more straightforward story to continue what's going on in this trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, well said. It's definitely um, a lot of introductions, a lot of the trickier pieces of the world building have been kind of caught up to speed, and I think we're getting the payoff of all of that setting up in book one as we get into the second book, and I know... It's very common in the world of fantasy trilogies to talk about the second book slump. I don't think that was the case here. I actually really like had a lot of fun reading this book and going through it. Um, but I will say, like from like a plot perspective, and I don't want to get. I know we haven't done our spoiler warning yet, but um, there is a lot of 
threads branching out and a lot of stuff left open for a third book. So um, there is some of that going on. But for the most part, I thought this was a really solid entry. And I may even like it more than, than, than book one. Yeah, I think I lean toward book one myself if I had to choose the two. But it's, I think sometimes for me, the novelty of entering a new world in a book one gives it a lot of points. And then, yeah, yeah, you benefit from, like we're saying, the rhythm of already having that established. But we lose some of the wonder of like, oh, wait, whoa, what what can these powder mages accomplish? Like, wait, there's gods involved in this? Like, uh, they're real? And now all of that is like, okay, yeah, I understand that. And helps keep things moving but also takes away the some of the wonder. And that's not critique, really, of uh, book two, but it's just my general experience I find with uh, trilogies is I tend to like the first one better uh, just from the, yeah, entering a new world. And then the third one in a trilogy, a lot of times, if there's a really good ending, that makes it really memorable. And, of course, that leaves us with, I think, why the second book can can often be a second book slump. But agreed, not really a problem with this trilogy. It's Mm -mm. still very action-packed and pacing is very strong. I think that's one of Brian McClellan's great strengths as an author is his pacing. Things are always happening. Things are always moving. And a a strong second installment for for sure. I think it's the longest book in the series at just under 600 pages. That's a that's Mm. really an impressive feat for sure. To to keep the entertainment level, the pacing at a high on what's considered a pretty long book and the longest in the trilogy as well. (laughs) I, I actually didn't know it was that long. And if you so I kindled and audiobooked this one, some of each. And actually didn't know the <laughs> the length. And if you told me it was 500 flat, then I would I would have believed you. So that's credit <laughs> to Brian McClellan. That's always something that we'll say is if we happen to audiobook a book or to Kindle read a book, we'll always be like uh, impressed if we come away and we're surprised by the page length. That uh, we always talk about Sarah El Arifi's The Final Strife. Uh, which is a fantastic book that we got the uh, advanced copies of. So we're reading it before uh, it came out and it was uh, like, we definitely did not know the page like just reading it on Kindle. And I remember when I told Charles how long that one was, we both thought it was like a couple hundred pages shorter. So that's, (laughs) and we absolutely love that book. But whenever that's the case, you know, the pacing was really strong. Mm Mm-hmm. Well said. I cannot agree more. Well, I think it's time to really get into the spoilers. No doubt we both enjoyed this book, the second in the trilogy. Highly recommend, obviously. I think we've really got to get into it. But before we can do that, we need one of your famous spoiler warnings. Definitely, Charles. Well, for those of you who haven't yet read the second book in the Powder Mage trilogy, that's the Crimson Campaign then uh, now's probably a good time to turn this down in your headphones because we're going to get into the deep depths of spoiler territory. But you're safe here if you haven't yet read book three or finished the trilogy because we won't be spoiling any of that in this episode. Well said, Dylan. We are now into the spoiler zone and... Lots of ways we can approach talking about this book. Lots of different um, um, characters and settings and plot lines and this and that we could get into. But um, I think where we got to kind of bring it first is is with um, with Tamis. Tannis. Um, I keep wanting to say when I read it, I want to say Tamas. But uh, I know from the audiobooks <laughs> that he calls him Tannis. So uh, <laughs> I uh, I got to say Tannis. <laughs> Tamas makes him sound like he's uh, Latin. <laughs> it's one of those things, too, where you kind of have to say Field Marshal Tamas. Like you yeah. have to give him the full. Just saying Tamas is like, wait, like 
something feels missing <laughs> here. It's always Field Marshal Tavis. Yeah. Um, Field Marshal Tavis. Yeah, Charles, where, <laughs> yeah, where should we start when it comes to <laughs> Field Marshal Tavis? Well, um, he had a very, like, pretty much straightforward, I kind of mentioned it in the beginning, arc in this one where it was right after the invasion of Kez kind of ends in disaster in the last book and then now they're kind of like behind enemy lines just trying to stay ahead of the army and and make their way back to the border um, in uh, what the back of the book described as a reckless march through northern Kez so um, what's interesting to me about that one is he's completely isolated from uh from Taniel and he's completely isolated from the rest of the crew and he's just in like the wild and he is like running and they're like not eating meals they're eating the horses they can't stop to rest I, I found it like to be a really interesting um kind of plot arc for your main character where it's very very kind of confined into we're being chased by a greater force in behind enemy lines we've got to stay on the move and you really see uh field marshal tannis's uh ingenuity um because it can you know here's someone who you could write all kinds of tropes about nobility and leaders just sitting on their high horse and and, and not doing anything and here's field marshal tannis like in the thick of it leading by example like eaten horse with everyone else and just like fighting for his life very scrappy and i i don't know i've as i found myself more like kind of endeared to tannis and uh i just really enjoyed the simplicity of the of the arc yeah there's a big reason why i said this was a lot more straightforward military fantasy because tannis's whole arc is basically like you're saying he's behind enemy lines mm. and he's fighting to survive and there's a little bit of, uh, on top of that, wanting to take down uh, Duke uh, Nikoslaus. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough one. Nikoslaus? <laughs> I, I can't... That's a tough one for me to say. <laughs> hey, but, yeah, he's still, by the end, that's a focus of his. It's an interesting resolution to that, where it was kind of grimdark feeling, where... Mm. Uh, he finally gets to the guy who's killed his wife and caused him all these issues. And we've been building this up for two books now, two pretty long books. And then he just finds him dead in a ditch. Like he broke his neck and drowned. And that that was very like grimdark feeling where it's like, uh, yeah, you don't get that satisfying conclusion there. But uh, yeah, we, we get an, interesting storyline with Tamas and we get to actually see him in action where he's most familiar is on the battlefield because we got a little bit more political stuff with the occasional uh, fighting going on yeah i mean book one opened with the coup right so it's just like being removed you don't get to see it right you don't get to see like Tamas in action or even really his uh, powder mages doing that much when it comes to killing the uh, the uh, cabal there you just kind of have the adamant point of view coming in and it's like we did this like all the fighting's done (laughs) welcome to the book and it's uh, yeah and it's fun because it sets up a lot it's actually a fantastic first chapter but yep uh, yeah this is a different kind of book because it's uh, it's like all right let's let's let the field marshal be the field marshal here yes exactly he does kind of earn his his stripes on this one uh just everyone like the situation is so dour and they're outnumbered they've got no resources they're you know running out of food and he was still able to stage like a surprise attack and he never gave up and all these other things and you see him like leading his men and you know with with things like um God, i always forget her name taniel's ex-fiance uh, laura laura yeah when she ends up having a relationship with olam and he's oh, kind of yeah. navigating that you know <laughs> it, it's 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 interesting to see him 
and he like fights his former brother-in-law and like he's working on all these things and he's in the weeds fighting and he's he's going through all of this meanwhile he's not speaking to his son at all and that's the the one of the driving things of the series that i really enjoy is the relationship between Daniel and field marshal tannis because it's like here's field marshal tannis like in the weeds with everyone going through it fighting it out and and just Daniel's never a part of that and so i i i really liked being able to round out field marshal tannis's character and seeing him in action and seeing him live up to the legend which he built up a really high legend um in the last book and i think sometimes that can be hard for uh, fantasy authors to do it's like here's my badass hero he's badass all the time he was born badass he'll die badass like it's just who he is uh but i think brian mcclellan did a really good job of making uh field marshal tennis earn all of that badassery if you will right because the easy thing is to say oh we've got a history with this guy he never loses a battle and <laughs> uh, blah 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 he's never retreated all this kind of stuff but yeah you've got a show and not tell if you're mm-hmm. going to dive into straightforward military fantasy and McCollin does a great job of showing when it comes to Tennis's abilities and mm-hmm. uh, his strategic The way he mind. protects his image politically, the way he pushes his men beyond like something reasonable. It's like, yes, I know we've been marching all day, but we now have to dig this ditch because if we don't <laughs> dig this ditch, we're not going to surprise them and we're all going to die. You know, so the fact that he's able to push and lead groups of people and, and then come out victorious on the other side, like it, it felt very well earned and paid off all couched in this really entertaining military fantasy arc. I don't know. It was just, I thought it was really clever. Yeah, and how he's able to just give himself tunnel vision. You mentioned that Mm -hmm. Taniel is nowhere to be found. Tamas has no idea if Taniel is living or dead or anything like that. And it comes Mm -hmm. to his mind every once in a while. But at the end of the day, he's like, well, there's not anything I can do about that at this moment. So I'm Mm -hmm. just going to focus on what I can control. And that's... Mm -hmm. Uh, coming up with the best uh, strategy and tactics and sometimes just getting out there and fighting himself and Mm -hmm. he's uh, yeah he's got some other people around him you you mentioned flora there's also like andrea there's some other characters but i think they they all take a huge backseat to tamas in this like there's not really a second character that gets fleshed out so much in this uh, this entire like yeah. uh, I would say it's probably about a third of the story that uh, Tamis gets. I would I'd say probably right, and then you're splitting the other two thirds between Adamat, uh, Taniel, and uh, Nyla. But that entire th- third is basically like all Tamas all the time. Uh, I possibly a slight missed opportunity when it comes to like Flora. Like Flora is this character that we kind of think because of her abilities and her place in the story and all that kind of stuff that like she should be a fleshed out like interesting good character but just just never really quite happens. <laughs> Like, I don't, I don't know. I have a few theories as to why, but yeah, it's, I don't know. It's all Tamas all the time and it it could be a lot worse than that. (laughs) Right. I mean, they do get into some, like, um, Tamas will try to reprimand and then she'll rebuke it and that's kind of shocking, you know, but, and she gets away with it and all these other things. There's some stuff that happens, but it it all takes a backseat to to tennis and to the military action going on in that arc for sure. Yeah, I mean, she's she starts. I don't know if they're dating or just getting sexually involved or whatever. But her and Olam, and she does give her monologue about how she's been slut shamed and stuff, but. I don't know. Doesn't just something missing with Flora as a character? Just there's, uh, I don't know. Doesn't hit as hard as it could, and I think that's because it's like we haven't seen 
much more flora like i don't know what adjectives Mm -hmm. to describe flora like that i should use yeah we only see her in the context i wouldn't use the ones that she mentions others have used on her when she's giving her monologue but i don't know which ones to insert instead to say positive things or like what she's like as a character and i guess like you want to, in that moment, be able to be like, wow, they're not seeing the real Flora because the real Flora is insert characteristics here. And yeah, you could say she's headstrong or what have you, but we don't see a ton of that. And then she just like ends up getting held hostage sort of briefly and toward the end. And mm-hmm. I don't know. She just always kind of feels like she's servicing the plot more than she's actually a driver in anything. So that's, uh, I got some Flora critiques. <laughs> yeah. It, I think the main weakness to her character is it's always kind of couched in her relationships with other characters mostly like romantic relationships with other characters or lack thereof it's like oh it's always her relative to Taniel or her relative to um olam and very rarely does she get to have a moment to talk to like field marshal tennis and they have that riff but then you're like who is this person like like that you know so for that reason, I can see why she may be a little less developed. She's not a POV character or anything like that. Like her behaviors and stuff are not the focus to any plot, really. Like whether she's in a relationship with Olam or not doesn't really matter to yeah. anything. So it's just like she's just kind of around right now, and that's you know fine, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's always just like, okay, well, she's getting involved in a relationship to Olam, but why are we supposed to care? It's because, Mm. like, Tamas is mad because uh, she was supposed to be uh, his, like, daughter-in-law and give him grandchildren. Like, that's the focus of it. And do get, I I don't want to take away from Brian McClellan, they just give her that monologue where do get her side of things. But again, yeah, we we need more understanding of the character coming yeah. into that to that's a good that's fully a good drive it home but yeah it's definitely it's the most memorable moment for flora that's <laughs> something for sure for sure the the only other part of this arc that i really enjoyed was the actual um the final attack where well not the final attack but the attack um where tannis sprung his trap in the trench and when the Kez cavalry charges and all those with Carassiers and all that are charging and, and fall into the into the pit. Yeah. I mean, it was a really it was an exciting battle scene. And it was one of these moments where like clever ingenuity and just the persistence to keep fighting pays off and it, it pays off in a really great way. I feel like an honest, exciting battle scene can be a really hard thing to craft and brian mcclellan you know set a fantastic stage and delivered on the action as well it almost reminds me of some of the abercrombie and kind of military mm. action points that we've gotten throughout his series of like in the heroes or something like that it would it, where you're you're getting the excitement you're getting the energy it, it's kind of a balance of entertainment with some of that grim dark kind of blood yeah. and guts and action in there like the details in which he chooses to present the battle in um so i i i I, it was exactly what we said before it's like this is our it feels like our home you know in terms of the kind of fantasy that we like to read you know of being big abercrombie fans and all that It, it just felt like oh yeah i'm back into my comfort zone here with these kinds of stories definitely we're back in our comfort zone Tamas was back in his comfort zone mm-hmm. and all, all was right with the world in, <laughs> in those yeah. chapters. Bayon was an interesting out. character too. But who's out yeah. of the comfort zone? Who's out of their comfort zone during pretty much all of this book, I would say, is Daniel. Mm-hmm. Daniel is just fish out of water in basically all the scenarios. Like it's, uh, It starts obviously with him trying to numb all his pain in the Maladen. Uh, but 
then quickly, you know, he's out of his comfort zone with how Kapol is trying to, uh, like, hit on him. And he doesn't know what to yeah. do because he's kind of, for a long time, thought of her as uh, more of a, uh, like, uh, you know, someone to protect almost, I would say, like a little sister sort of thing or mm-hmm. even daughter was the way he was seeing her and then all of a sudden then there's this like romantic element coming in that is primarily being driven by Kapol. uh you know she's like on his lap and he's like i don't like how this is making me feel right now but <laughs> there's a lot right. of moments like that um he's also <laughs> we can get into that more but uh just to give the general uh Where's Daniel at? He's also completely out of his comfort zone being a member of the military that is not run by his father and yeah. that he no longer gets to like basically do whatever he wants. He's mm-hmm. getting all sorts of issues there. He's also being recruited by a Rickard to be involved in politics, which he has no idea how to navigate. Mm-hmm. So it's just a whole lot of Daniel being like, all right, I he's out of his element in this entire book. Yeah, and that it was interesting to kind of compare his his kind of separation from the army and I, again, I come back to the relationship with his dad, which they were never really that close, but you get to see how um Taniel's role in the army was really like how he saw his relationship with his father and when all that was taken away he really collapsed and i thought that was cleverly done by brian mcclellan he never like pre like straight up was being like oh see see what i'm doing but he was definitely (laughs) building the character of taniel as someone who finds like meaning and direction and purpose in essentially killing but then you can see like his loyalty to the army his feelings for carpole like he is really how it's all wrapped up in his his daddy issues as well it's kind of really interesting to see him hit rock bottom and, and and climb his way up in this book yeah and also to navigate those daddy issues with the fact that everyone's reporting that field marshal thomas is dead and it's like a in tiny font presumed yeah. <laughs> field marshal field marshal tamas is presumed dead field marshal is dead asterisk flip to the end bottom asterisk, presumed <laughs> yeah <laughs> but there's a, there's a lot of that to go around is uh, people dealing with the presumed death of field marshal tamas and uh, it's kind of it's a confusing time for Daniel because I think it's one of those things where he's like, uh, even if I didn't really like my dad that much, like he can't even really process the idea that this like superhero of a man could mm. die. And mm. uh, it's it's interesting to see him try to deal with the emotional and grief related fallout in addition to of course the very literal issues that like concrete issues that happen because field marshal tamas has been protecting him yeah, his yeah. entire time protecting and him and also just, just took like it using for, him as a tool yeah. sure sure but also Daniel wanted to be used as a tool yeah. maybe more than he realized like well, he yeah I think he liked it at the end of the day right <laughs> sure don't we all but he <laughs> he also was I think he liked his head to think like oh like my dad's always just using me as a machine to kill people and then as soon as his dad is out of there and not able to do that he's like i liked it a lot better when my dad was using me as a machine to kill people because he did i think have a little bit more uh, i guess autonomy over what he would end up deciding to do over like tamas sure did he tell uh tanner like go kill bo the last book yes yeah did he kill bo no did anything mm-hmm. bad happen to Daniel by not actually doing exactly what Tamas said? No, nothing really bad happened. And I yeah. think that's the thing at the end of the day is 
Daniel had free reign to kind of do whatever he wanted. And at worst, it was like, daddy's going to scold you. And now <laughs> he has to deal with things that are a lot worse than daddy scolding you. He has yeah, to get like, which would happen to any other soldier in the army. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you're insubordinate, you're going to get brought up on charges. You're going to get court martialed, yeah. you know, well, he was which happens to him almost immediately. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, Daniel, if you act like you've been acting for your entire life, all of a sudden everything is against the rules of the army and you're you got to get court-martialed, kid. Yeah, and it's 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 good to see because um, you when you compare it to Field Marshal Tannis's arc, where he is large and in charge and living up to the legend in a lot of ways, and then you get to you know Taniel Two-Shot, who is also kind of a legend, but you see he's not quite at that level of like being in command like assuming command and all that other stuff he's just kind of still early in his career and he's still bumbling through the politics and like he thinks he can just you know bulldoze over generals and it's not working out so it's kind of see it's kind of fun to watch him and see if he'll kind of live up to his dad's reputation or not and some of these challenges i think were really interesting because it's him having to navigate authority and him having to navigate politics. And even though all the common soldiers like him and he could potentially rally people around him, he's still a little bit hot headed. He's still not, he's still being a little selfish. He's still not, you know, acknowledging people around him. And and, and that's causing major rifts in his place in the army. So I thought all of those challenges were really well composed to develop his character and you know sometimes it's like oh here's the character and they're you know being chastised by an evil person in charge but that really wasn't the case like you you're never quite sure with with general ket like if she's like an evil person like professor umbridge in harry potter or she's like torturing harry just for like power tripping and being fun about it but general ket's like no i love I love the government more than than anybody, and I, I take my position very seriously. And these are my troops, and this and that. And you, it was an interesting approach. Where at least in the beginning, you're not sure, like, you know, she's got a point. You know, Daniel is being like he is being um, insubordinate at every stage, and just because he thinks he has a better idea to charge the enemy all the time, it, it's you know he's only seeing one part of this massive military campaign. Yeah, let's be real here. Taniel Two-Shot's legend is based off of the fact that he could shoot real good at twice. (laughs) You know, like, it's he's not really developed a reputation for incredible leadership or strategy or anything like that. It's like, oh, no, this guy shoot real good. And... (laughs) That's <laughs> that, <the> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, <laughs> twice, and it's kind of uh, like in no way does he stop having that part of his, you know, character. He is still shooting real good and killing mm-hmm. people with relative ease and privileged and all that kind of stuff. Wardens, like, if anything, he like got a level up in some way by. Whatever happened to him by nature of his interaction with Kresimir, like he became some sort of God-touched creature that is different from just being a powder mage. So he's Mm -hmm. doing some things that are uh, pretty incredible, like when he kills the... uh, They have this added element now to the magic systems, which is the... They call them Black Wardens, right? Which is the Powder Mages turned into Wardens. And he's able to, like, kill them. That's pretty hard to do. He kills them in pretty intense fashion, doesn't he? Like, he, like, tears one of them. <laughs> he tears the throat out point, of the person, right? yeah. <laughs> like, pretty tears metal. their jaw off and <laughs> all this kind of stuff. But, wait, yeah, he is... Uh, full badass in that realm but we see the ways in which he can't really figure out how to just shut his mouth and play his role and we also see uh, him have to deal with some pretty intense stuff including i think what 
what made him uh or no you know he, he tore the jaw off of he tore the jaw off of one of the people who came in where they were like trying to uh, like he comes Soft. back to his yeah. tent and uh, like cup hole is just like laid out there and they uh, per, like presumably were going to try to rape her and then he uh, Daniel just like kills everyone in a yeah, he went berserk pretty, mode yeah w- yeah w- wacky way but uh, yeah anyway that's that's Daniel we get more cup hole that was an unfortunate incident for her but I guess didn't didn't end as bad as it could have and right uh, yeah she also gets she gets some pretty epic moments where uh, at the end she's like created all these different dolls and she can essentially control an army that's that's pretty intense yeah no that was an other exciting moment where taniel goes off to try and get blood from kresimir yeah, and when he escapes and he jumps in the river, and and Christopher <laughs> just picks up the whole river and right. brings him back in, it's like, well, so much <laughs> for the escape. Like, I don't know what he was planning to do there, but um, uh, the the looming threat of Cressimir is always kind of interesting, and look, always searching for the eye behind the flintlock and all of that, um, and he's just kind of unhinged, but. <laughs> Uh, the the part at the end where where um Carpole just like throws up like a a hunt like a thousand dolls thousands and, of dolls yeah, yeah. <laughs> right um and then he just Daniel just starts shooting them and they like then army guys on the ground would just explode it was like pretty pretty exciting stuff <laughs> and then you you really get because you, you're always told like oh she's a power powerful sorceress but now she's like doing stuff at a much higher magnitude than we've ever seen her do before, which made for a very exciting climax of this book. Yeah. We also have Kresimir and Mihaly. If, like, we got we got a god showdown in yeah, yeah. this one. And mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's not entirely clear what happens, but the result of it is uh, we get this huge blast and then... We've got just Crestmere there, and Mihaly is nowhere to be seen. Mm. And we know that Mihaly came in, and he was like, "Well, Crestmere is losing his mind because you shot him with some messed up yeah. bullets and yeah. in the There's brain a bullet lodged in his brain. Like, it's kind yeah. of aggravating. Yeah, that it hurts, and he's he's not really doing too hot. But if I could just talk to him, then we could work things out. And hard to say how that panned out but doesn't seem to have panned out well <laughs> right it's like Cressimir opened the else yeah. to the world right and then there was a blast and then we lose track of what's happening and then when we come back Cressimir is alone and Mihal is completely uh, gone so you know I'm always subscribed to like I'll believe it when I see the body but I mean see the body. Bla- he yeah. blasted the else on this guy so I, I, either one is possible at this point it, it's kind of that was a tough loss for me to to lose Mahali he was such a great character and the, the idea of like a chef god was so much fun <laughs> and I can't imagine going into a whole third book uh, of the powder mage without him so i don't know we'll see maybe he's kind of like a gandalf the gray to gandalf the white situation he'll he'll come back and be <laughs> like oh yeah that's who i used to be called but no i'm much more powerful now you can still call me that but i'm gonna just <laughs> do all this cool stuff and uh i'll look a little different you know i'll have leveled up so maybe that will happen who knows yes me holly the white will be <laughs> me holly the white yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see if that ends up working out. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure. This I'm time sure. he identifies as a cook rather than a chef. <laughs> wow, he's the, the I guess it's a downgrade. <laughs> Actually, now I identify as a restaurant manager. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an assistant manager now. It's yeah. you know, getting out of the kitchen was important for my livelihood and my <laughs> mental well-being. You know, but I still get to be in the industry, which is great. And inspire other cooks. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> Just make schedules say. now for all the chefs. <laughs> right. Does inventory. Yeah, well, that's, 
<laughs> I mean, spoken like a man, Charles, who has uh, served food to <laughs> Mila Kunis <I'm>... and Ashton <laughs> Kutcher. I mean, this guy I knows have... what it takes to be back there in the kitchen. So I never not... transcended to the assistant manager state. Always kind of <laughs> stayed at cook. But uh, that's why we read fantasy, right? That escapism yes. idea that <laughs> that is the fantasy. Yeah, Charles, <laughs> what is the bigger fantasy? The idea of going from cook to, to full-on chef or the element of being an all-out god? Which, which one was a greater fantasy for you? I don't know. I think for me it was the potential for fatherly love and affection. <laughs> <laughs> uh, even even in this fantasy book i'm not sure if fatherly love and affection quite uh no, is even quite in a, present in a world yeah. where magic and gods exist we still have distant relationships between father and son oh well ain't that the truth, <laughs> that the truth? Yeah. <sighs> we can cook food for an army with no supplies but mm. can't bridge that that emotional gap so but what we can bridge is our conversation uh from mihali to one of the last i guess big main characters i think there's two characters left that have povs but the one i want to get into now of course is adamat um Mm -hmm. adamat for me his story was um for me, I, I was enjoying some of the intrigue and I was enjoying the whole process and he was going like full Glockta or full Tyrion and, and some of his approaches, which I liked. And it was a good counter to like the pure military fantasy of of uh, Field Marshal Tannis, of course. Um, I liked the whole thing with the proprietor. I thought that was a mm-hmm. nice little twist and turn and... Yeah, it opens with him like attacking the house that his family's held yeah. hostage in, right? Like that was a really fun scene too, and he's like drowning that guy in the porta potty. <laughs> <laughs> kind know? of what I like about Adamat's second book storyline is he's just gotten completely unhinged <laughs> compared to he was kind of more mild mannered in the first book, mm-hmm. and you kind of have him more as the everyman coming in, and he's like. Oh my God! Like, what has Field Marshal Thomas done? I'm just a like retired inspector. How can I be wrapped up in all this? And now he's like, yeah, waterboarding people and porta potties, and uh, he's <laughs> like, he's kind of gone off the deep end, and his tactics have gotten a lot more just like physical. <laughs> like, we're just gonna break in there, and we're gonna try to kill this guy, and. You've got, yeah, you've got some interesting stuff play out in his storyline. We also, uh, we have physical distance between father and son in this one, Mm. not just emotional distance, although I guess we've got physical in the the other book too. We know that his son has been sold off into slavery and the son had uh, some sort of powder mage abilities. Mm -hmm. Don't really get too deep into that and we... Yeah, we also get Bo in this storyline. Bo and Adamat. Adamat goes to in uh, like the five... second half of this. Bo really yeah. gets some development, which I wasn't expecting. I like Bo. He's like right up there, just short of like POV status now. The amount of attention we got on on Bo, yeah. and I was here for it. You know, I he was. You got him a little bit in the first book in his relationship with Daniel, and then now, you, like the scenes where you, know, you can tell that Adamat, who was once, like you said, very proper, very procedural, worked for the police, he was an investigator. Now he's like he's got no boss, really. He's got no mission or case. He's just yeah. like on his own. He's pulling at whatever resources he can grab at. He's playing a little fast and loose. And a little reckless with the powers that be, he's gonna blackmail the proprietor, and he's gonna stake out, uh, you know, one of their ha- one of the mm. safe houses, and he's gonna release Bo, uh, you know, all of these things that he's kind of starting to, kind of grab at. And releasing Bo was an interesting one because we know that Field Marshal Tannis is alive, and when no one else does, I think Adamant knows like yeah he's probably still alive, you know, but. 
he's not here, so <laughs> I'm going to just do what I could do. Um, but then what did you think of the um, the loophole with Bo to get yeah. out of the have to kill Tannis <laughs> arc? Right. Well, yeah, to finish your your thought there, Bo has the ability to detect if Tannis is alive or not because mm-hmm. he has the gaze and if it's still making him want to like kill Tannis, then he knows must all right, kill well, is alive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's not quite gone full must kill Tannis, but he, uh, you know, he's had a lot of time to sit there and think, I guess. <laughs> and he is like, wait, what if I just go and kill the executioner? Like, technically, mm. I am avenging uh, the king because mm. that's the guy who killed him. And <laughs> it works. <laughs> and it's kind of, it's like, I think that's some of the charm of Brian McClellan's writing is he'll just mm. have moments like that. And you're like, oh, that's, that's pretty clever. Uh, but right. that resolved that a lot quicker. Like, I thought that was a really big plot point, And now that is resolved. And it's one of the, it reminds right. me of the such a we huge about deal in the first, book one. Yeah, right. In the first book we talked about, you know, there's that character that right after Field Marshal Thomas, uh, you know, executes the king and all kind of stuff. There, these this royalist faction, and there's a guy that I now can't remember the name of. Who it's like, oh yeah, like he's just as good a commander as Thomas. Like he's so formidable, uh, but he's also a royalist, and they respect each other. And oh, watch right, out right, when right. those two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's barely memorable now, but like uh, it's like, oh, watch out, those two are gonna fight and. <sighs> Who knows who could win? And you think this is like, all right, there's going to be a through line throughout the whole yeah. book now. And then that guy right. just like gets killed in an explosion, <laughs> like really quickly. And that whole thing is resolved. So, right. I don't know. McClellan has a habit of <laughs> kind of subverting your expectations right. of some of these things. Right. And this right. one was kind of funny. And it's like, I guess it does make sense. Like, how's the charm going to really discern between like who was responsible versus who literally murdered the person so it's kind of like you know i buy it right that's pretty good and if we're gonna bring Bo into the mix like we can't be constantly having to be like oh he's suppressing the urge to kill like okay and then now tim like does it doesn't work so it's kind of a fun grim dark moment and then they do the whole thing where they go to the guy's house you have no idea what's happening he's like bringing the guy out and then kills him all of a sudden and then he's like oh it worked (laughs) it's like i didn't know if it would work or not but uh, i thought it was worth a try (laughs) right we didn't get full bow manchurian candidate uh unfortunately you know like end of zoolander like (laughs) end of (laughs) must kill the (laughs) yeah where he has to kill the prime minister like of tibet or whatever (laughs) (laughs) but why male models God, I haven't seen but, that in a while. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but why members of the Royal Cabal? <laughs> so we get, <laughs> yeah, we get Bo kind of working through that pretty quickly. And I mean, I think Bo gets like a couple of the most interesting <laughs> moments or most memorable moments. There's also uh, Vitas, who's a guy who has been a big deal and a big problem for a lot of our characters, both especially Adamad and Nyla throughout uh, the first couple books. Bo just goes like savage on this oh, guy's ass. Like yeah. he's like yelling at him like, Oh, are you one of those kids that like tore the wings off of insects? <laughs> and yeah. The guy's like not answering him. Cause like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then he's just like, I bet you were. And he just like tears his arms off. Of him. <laughs> it's like, Oh my God. Like, uh, this yeah. guy's like, talking about unhinged. Like that guy made Adamat look like tame again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah Bo's an interesting character because he's very charismatic and he's saving the day and he's young and he's you know friends with Taniel but he's also like got this unchecked power about him you know and, and has no problems killing people and um just torturing certain people and maybe um maybe they deserve it from time to time but uh it's definitely that grim dark mentality and yeah that torture scene was pretty wild stuff <laughs> yeah that's all those moments like i've read this 
series like seven years ago or something like that. And uh, I was like, like that's one of those moments that sticks with you. <laughs> yeah, remember when Bo just, just like tore that guy's arms off? And it's also, yeah, the, the idea that we didn't talk about this too much with the executioner thing. It's like, that guy is innocent. Like, that guy, all he did was his job. And right. Bo just goes in with zero qualms, just kills him. He's like, oh, well, that solves that problem. He also, <laughs> yeah, plays a key role in helping Nyla discover her powers, which he does by slapping her. Which, <laughs> Hey, if it works, it works. But yeah, yeah, the Nyla arc was interesting. This one took a while to get cooking, but uh, it finally got uh, a little spicy towards the end where she's able to tap into the else without the use of gloves, which she's the only, like, person beyond Kresimir and Mihaly that are known to be able to do that so that sets up an interesting premise for her but until then we get her just being kidnapped and then saved and then kidnapped and then saved again right that's kind of how it went essentially <laughs> <laughs> yeah and blushing when she was near Bo and being mm. like I hear they Who have strong though? sexual appetites but mm. but I'm just a laundress and <laughs> It's some, I'm of, some of that going around. <laughs> yeah. but, I'm a shepherd from the two rivers. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been, it was uh, definitely a slow burn getting to that fire in her hand because it's just not a lot going on for her besides being this like passive victim in all of her situations. And we get... We get a lot of moments from Nyla leading up to the just the moment where hope, you know, we hope things are going to change and she'll get more agency and power. But we just get a lot of her, you know, she thinks about taking action all the time. Like she's always thinking like, oh, like if I got the opportunity and this guy got a little bit closer to me, I'd like stab him in the neck. She never actually mm-hmm. does any of those things. She just thinks no. about it a lot. <laughs> and, <laughs> right? She was going to kill Tamis, theoretically, in the first book. But she just, oh, yeah. there's always some reason why she doesn't do all these things. So it's like, in theory, I think Brian McClellan was trying to make her this like feisty character who is more than meets the eye and uh, like has this kind of savage side to her as well. We never see mm-hmm. any of that in practice. It's all in her head. Right, right. And that's because, like, in terms of screen time, she gets a fraction of the amount of right. time. You always feel like there's something more going on with her. Um, but it, it kind of reminds me of, like, in the Greenbone saga by uh, Fonda Lee. She has, like, a POV character who's seemingly smaller and mm. insignificant, but keeps bringing them back and he keeps somehow just like affecting the trajectories of these greater than godlike characters when he's just this small insignificant person who just stumbles into some of these things and it's not quite that vibes with her i was getting some of that i'm like okay like she's got a lot less screen time she's the laundress and she's just always around at, at, at these influential people at some point she's gonna tip over and 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 kick off something bigger and whether she's actually a powerful force or just another common person that did one thing that changed this huge trajectory of history like i wasn't quite sure where it was gonna go um yes she saved the royal heir and maybe that will have implications further on down the road it had nothing to do with this book really beyond the fact that he's that character is still around (laughs) but um doesn't matter really but uh now that she can do magic it seems like she is gonna have a much more prominent role in in the next book and it's it's not as much as like even the most common person can change the course of history i was i wasn't sure which was gonna happen you know (laughs) right it's like well actually the common person cannot but maybe now that she can shoot fire from her hands they can when they can shoot fire from their hands how quickly we turn from a laundress to a privileged (laughs) right that's a very compelling attribute (laughs) compelling quality in a person (laughs) She can do it without gloves, which is the 
sort of hanging thread that you're like, ooh, I guess Brian McClellan is adding more to this magic system. And mm-hmm. it's something strange and something that even Bo is like, wait, what's going on here? But Bo is pretty mm-hmm. hard to to really take aback. He kind of <laughs> goes with the flow. He's like, oh, that's interesting. But it's something that no one seems to be really familiar with how it works. But yeah, the character you mentioned, the Green Moon Saga, it's interesting. I could see how that is how you think, oh, maybe this will play out for the first couple books until this moment. But yeah, that character was an agent of chaos that was just <laughs> like causing some of the most dramatic events in that series. And right. Nyla just by kind of yeah, bumbling around, done. you know, not yeah. by any sort of political scheming. It's just no. like by being a chaotic person, you just stumble into the lives of these people, which was kind of where this was going. You know, she found herself in the same room as adamant and the same room as field marshal tannis and and like all these other influential people but so far it's been building up to now you can do magic in a unique way and they kind of tease that the gods and have there's more to them that's just like oh they're gods that's what they do it's like well they may just be really magical people you know <laughs> like that like how, if you want to call that a god fine you know me holly has mentioned that a couple times he's like well it's more complicated than that but to make it easy let's go with god and and you wonder how someone um like her can exist because this book is very much a like a hard magic system with some soft magic system elements so you think that brian mcclellan very clearly has a reason for why she doesn't have to use gloves and everyone else does uh just hasn't been revealed yet the code hasn't been cracked so i'm curious to see if i can start to put the pieces together in my own brain i know he's cooking up something you know this guy went to the school of sanderson for writing he's got the hard magic in there so i I know there's something he's it's got to do with Mahali and, and Kresimir. I'm, I'm almost certain of it. Just don't know what that is yet. Yeah, I mean... But with the grimdark elements, it could be anything. Brian McClellan's proven he could do anything at any time. <laughs> right, yeah. He's definitely full of surprises when he wants to be. And he'll he'll take routes that are different than what Sanderson would do because, like you said, the, the grimdark elements, I think... Sanderson at the end of the day while he will put some pretty dark content into his books at times like there's just a certain level of optimism and hopefulness that just mm-hmm. kind of will pervade his books mm-hmm. even when things get low and I think uh, it's kind of McClellan is kind of in between that and let's say Abercrombie who is just like well, even if there's a glimmer of uh, hope, like, uh, don't you worry. The darkness will find a way through and uh, destroy the all of your The darkness will find a way through? <laughs> I'm saying in Abercrombie's books. Like, oh, oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, so I'm saying he's, <laughs> I'm saying McClellan is in between uh, that kind of Abercrombian attitude and... Uh, right the sandersonian attitude which is more that the hope will peek through the darkness and Mm -hmm. i think that makes him a wild card when you're reading this series and you're like i i don't know where this is gonna go but i think you do have to have that trust like you said he's from the school of sanderson and when it comes to the methodical way of of plotting and uh, coming up with ways to deal with the conflicts and provide a satisfying conclusion to them. I think McClellan has probably built that trust for you at this point. Oh yeah. I think he's done for me as well. That's well said, Dylan. You know, I'm very excited to see where it goes. I feel like in terms of plot development, the book, like not a, as much happens plot wise as you as you would expect that we got some um uh, resolutions but that just opened up a bunch more uh open paths that this plot this story can take so much to resolve in just one more book and so i'm i'm really excited to pick it up and i'm just planning to get right into it you know we've got 
two weeks for the holidays here. I definitely plan on destroying book three during that time. And um, mm. who knows what else we'll read in the meanwhile. But uh, yeah, I'm curious to see how he kind of, if he brings any answers to what some of these powers are and, and if there is any end to this war in sight because it feels like there's still so much to go and so much to resolve so and as you said he's he's got sanderson but he's also got really um classic grimdark weaved in you don't know what to expect or where he's gonna yeah. go with it so it, it's it's very exciting and um i was thoroughly entertained by the book and and the readability of it was really high and i can't wait to get into the third one yeah, certainly a readability that falls into that Sanderson camp with the, mm. the prose is not trying to provide flourish or uh, like impress anyone with turns mm. of phrases that are uh, purple in their nature, you know. But it <laughs> is going to <laughs> it is going to at the end of the day serve the telling of a fantastic story and i think that's uh, how sanderson does it and how mcclellan does it and i think that in this case it serves a gritty military fantasy extremely well and the crimson campaign definitely living up to that name a lot of crimson in terms of blood and a lot of campaigning so you're you're not gonna be shocked by a those kind of elements but you might be shocked by the place that brian mcclellan takes them the charles uh, we'll have to see where he's going to take them in book three because i think we've kind of set our piece on on the crimson campaign and yeah next up you did and you did insist that we read all three books so i'm curious to see you know where that's gonna go for us but you made it very clear that if we're gonna read one we gotta read all three so i mean you gotta see why at this point right this is kind of a yeah i mean book like two i would say better than that... book one i have no problem saying that i know you kind of disagree and i can i understand that but for me my experience of reading i'll say was better in this one than than the first one but the first one wasn't yeah. bad at all it was i just felt myself being a little like Wait, there's there's wardens. They look, I'm just picturing like a bunch of Frankenstein's running around, fighting <laughs> oh, like they are. <laughs> <laughs> like we're like we're in top hat, like a Frankenstein combined with Abe Lincoln. That's what I'm picturing when I see wardens running around. Like they got the top hats and like the green skin, and they're kind of all Frankenstein together, but they're tall. <laughs> this is like a really, but anyway, um, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm interested and can't wait to see how it all wraps up. So I think Dylan, there's not much left to do here. Uh, any any final words before we go into the outro? My final words are just let's get that sweet sweet outro music pumping, Charles. All right, here we go. Thank you, everyone, one and all, for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today and you want to support the show, go give us some love over on the socials. That's at the FTF Podcast on Instagram and at the FTF Podcast with a number one at the end on Twitter. Now, if they like what they heard today and they want to support the show even more than following us and engaging with us over on the socials, what can they do? toss five stars to our podcast which you can do over on spotify just two clicks at the top of the friends talking fantasy podcast feed and it helps us so much when you do that you can also rate and review on apple podcasts when you write a review you say nice things about us that always puts a smile on my face and presumably on charles's face as well Much like Tamas presumed dead, Charles presumed smiling. (laughs) Presumed has been confirmed. Smiling has taken place. And that's because of all of you. Thank you all so, so much for listening all the way to the end. And the second book in a trilogy, man, you guys are awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Have a happy end of the year. Uh, We'll see you in 2024, right? There we go. See you next year.
See you next year. Another year in the books, as they say, huh? In the books, because we ah, done the books. So we but just listening is more than enough. <laughs> Always more than enough, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are awesome. Um, and uh, as always, go forth and conquer, friends. See you next year. 